We're going to um, open up God's Word now. So uh, Luke chapter 16, verses 19 to 34. Luke 16, verse 19. The rich man and Lazarus. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried in Hades, where he was in torment. He looked up and saw Abraham far away, with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me, and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, because I am in agony in this fire." But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here, you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been set in place, so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross from there to us. He answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them, so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. This is God's Word. We're going to look at that, uh, that passage in a moment before we sing this song, Amazing Grace. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the truth of that song that uh, has changed many of our lives as we've seen your amazing grace work in each of us this morning. Father, we pray that you'd help us now see afresh from this passage more of Jesus and less of ourselves in the sense that you are the only one who can save. In Jesus' name, amen. How is your sense of direction? How is your sense of direction? Um, for me, is it Tim Tim or Tom Tom? I don't know. Tim Tim or Tom Tom? Is it my way or do I follow the sat-nav or a map or my nose? So let's just do a little bit of uh, audience participation this morning. Who, if they were going on a long journey, they didn't know where to go, would use a sat-nav. Hands high, be loud and proud about it, okay? Uh, those of you that would use a map, the prayer will be given later, no? Um, and then those of you who um, use your nose, this kind of meander, thanks Steve. Um, different, different ways to get to the same place. This morning, this morning, we will see that there is only one way to heaven and there's one way to hell. We all make choices. We all are on, I know it's an overused phrase, but we are all on a journey. 
The Bible says that our destination at the end of our life is hell without Jesus. Let that sink in for a moment. The Bible says our destination at the end of our life is hell without Jesus. And so without Jesus this morning, if Jesus isn't your tom-tom, if Jesus isn't your map, you are on, to quote Chris Rea, on that road to hell. In the story, in the parable that we've just had read, you'll notice the destination of each of these men that we have before us. So there's two men, there's two destinies, and there's a choice. There's a choice that we all, everyone here, are in the, is in the story we have to make. The choice is based on whether we listen and respond to the words of Jesus. The choice is based on will we listen and respond to the words of Jesus this morning. So let's just look at these two men for a moment. So it's all coming out of this Bible reading that we have. Everything that we say in this church isn't just my idea or whoever the preacher is idea. It all comes from the Bible. So you'll see as we go through this, there's two men, there's two destinies, and there's a choice that we all face. So let's look at these two men. So there was a rich man. See that in verse 19? There was a rich man. Notice how the rich man isn't given a name. See that? He's not given a name. So there's a rich man. Uh, and we're told that he um, was dressed in purple and fine linen, and he lived in luxury every day. Let's just look at that verse for a moment. So back then, purple was the ultimate statement that you were rich, that you had the ultimate luxury garment because purple dye was so expensive. Doing the old uh, Google internet search, the equivalent today to purple dye is, now again, you, you can correct, people often correct me after my sermon, so correct me if I'm wrong on this, but the equivalent today to purple dye would be to wear the coat made of vicuna wool. Any of you got vicuna wool? Someone at the back. We'll see you later. No. Um, so someone, uh, uh, vicuna wool is, uh, comes from a sheep. Um, look it up later, what this sheep looks like. A vicuna sheep is a rare sheep species that is mostly found in Peru. Besides being rare, vicuna fur is also processed using a complicated looming process, making it more expensive. So this man, he's got lots of money, he's showing it off. For him, it was purple, and it was fine linen. So fine linen um, here, really, not to upset anyone, is basically your boxer shorts. Okay, so this is what this guy would have worn, fine linen boxer shorts. So don't think Marks and Spencer's here. Think more like Hermes. Hermes? Hermes. Hermes. Hermes is a delivery, isn't it? <laughs> Hermes, uh, which apparently, if you want to buy some Hermes underwear, costs £500 a pair. 
£500 for underwear. Not even showing it off for you. And then, and then, Jesus says in this parable that this man lived in luxury every day. So his food and his delivery order wouldn't be a Mackey D and a Happy Meal. Think more like Michelin star restaurant. Think more than three pound a meal. Think more like 300 pound a meal. Okay, so this is the this is the rich man in the story. This is the first person. And then we move on to the second person. At his gate was laid, verse 20, at, a, at, his, at, his, at his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores. So the rich man has a gate, obviously, because he has a wall, because he has an expensive house, fully of expensive stuff. So he needs high security. And outside, we are introduced to this beggar who does have a name. What's his name? Lazarus. Uh, who would have been happy with what was, as we see in the, in the Bible, what, what fell from the rich man's table. Which means that uh, what he chucked on the floor was for his guard dogs. And he would have been happy with that. This is not pedigree chum. This is probably more like ribeye steak. But we're not told whether any of that actually came to Lazarus' way. Only that the dogs came his way. And although there's no hint yet of where the story's going, this is uncomfortable reading. It's very uncomfortable, isn't it, to read that and not to reach out for this man called Lazarus. So those are the two characters in our story. But let's look at the two destinies, verse 22. The time came when the beggar died. The angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried and was buried. So in the Bible, Abraham is the spiritual forefather of everyone who, as he did, genuinely trusts in God. And this is obviously what happened to Lazarus. Notice as well, however much money you've got, you're going to die, aren't you? However much money you've got, you're going to die. And this, this happened to these two, two men here. So Lazarus, his destiny isn't hell, but heaven. But that's not because he's poor, but because he trusted in God, or he trusted in Abraham, as it were, who, who was a forefather, who was the spiritual forefather for everyone. And so he genuinely trusts in God. That's Lazarus. That's why he ends up in heaven. Lazarus owed nothing apart from something that money cannot buy. He had treasure in heaven. But let's read on. Let's look on at the uh, middle of 22 again. Let's look on. The rich man also died and was buried in Hades, where he was in torment. He looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called out to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger 
in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony. This is a disturbing reading. This reading should come with a health warning. And it's hard to preach this. But if Jesus preaches it and Jesus speaks about it, we have to speak about it. So the first thing to make a point of here, a sub-point, is that hell is real. Jesus spoke about it um, more than anyone else. Not because he took pleasure in talking about it, but he spoke about it because he loved people. He loved everyone. He wanted everyone to be with him one day. He didn't want anyone to perish, as the gospel um, verse says. He wanted to warn them because the point of his coming into the world was to die on the cross so that we could be forgiven and brought back into a relationship with God while there is time. You know, when this clock ticks along or moves around digitally, all right, you look at your watch, you've still got time to respond to Jesus. When time moves on, you've still got time, but one day, time will stop. Whether it's because Jesus comes back before we die, or because we die and we face the choices that we make. So Lazarus dies, he goes to heaven, not because he's poor like I say, but because of his trust in God. The rich man dies and goes to hell, not because he's rich, because of his rejection of God. Again, nothing to do with what we have, nothing to do with our standing in life, whether you're rich and you're top of the ladder, or maybe you're poor and you're bottom of the ladder. That's immaterial. It's how we respond to Jesus whilst we have our breath. Verse 23, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. In all of this rich man's life, he would have had a wonderful view. A wonderful view within his mansion as he looked out at his land. And now this was his view. And if you hadn't read verse 24, what do you think he might have said? Do you think he might have apologized to Lazarus for how totally selfish he'd lived? Do you think he might have confessed the wrongness of that to God? Look what he actually does. He called out, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue. For I am in agony, or anguish as the old NIV puts it, in this flame. So in hell, this man can't any longer tell himself that God isn't there. He knows that God is real, maybe for all his life. He'd lived as if there was no God. At this point, he cannot say to himself, things are going to work out fine in the end. Life will be great. He may have thought that he'd done his best. He may have given his, um, his uh, big donation to comic relief and 
held up that big check to show how good he was. But it was all too late now. This was the reality check. But also, have you noticed, as you read this passage, as you read the words of this rich man, there's no apology, there's no confession, and he seems at heart to be just as he was in his life. And you see, he's self-centered, self-absorbed, and still thinking he can get people sent to do what he wants, just like his servants had done all their life. Which illustrates the way that the Bible doesn't say that people in hell come to their senses and see all things as they really are. Instead, various passages imply that their unrepentance carries on. So repentance, that sense of knowing you're in the wrong and you turn from your way to God's way, which is a Bible word, whereby you say that you're not king, but God is king, and that you rule my life. This is not the case even after he's died. You see, unrepentance is staying turned away from God and saying, I want to run life my own way. My will be done. And however we are by the end of this life, repentant or still unrepentant, that's how we'll stay beyond this life. Then in the rest of the parable, Jesus says three things about hell. Can you see what Jesus says there about hell? First of all, he says that hell is just. Hell is just. I take it in that in verse 24, the rich man is looking to change his situation. But then in verse 25, we read, But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. We do die with the choices that we make. And one day, all those wrongs will be put right in the final judgment. Lazarus was comforted, but the rich man was in anguish. The rich man chose to live on his own without God, and he dies with that choice. Hell reminds us that God is just. He will put wrongs right. He will de deal with those things when people get away with murder in this life. One day, the wrongs will be put right. So hell is just. But the second thing here, verse 26, hell is final. Besides all this, we read, between us and you, there's a great chasm that's been set in place so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. Final destination. Hell is final. See, it's obvious why people would want to cross from the rich man's side to Abraham's. It's less obvious why they might want to cross the other way, presumably to try to change the plight of those like the rich man. But it's too late at this point. It's too late for someone to change their mind. The rich man and Nazareth, things are now 
to use the words of Jesus, fixed, forever, or set in place. That's why, whilst our watch is ticking, we have that opportunity to respond to Jesus. When the clock stops, or when the heart stops, it's too late. We have to respond to Jesus while we have that God-given gift of breath in our lungs. So there's no second chances after death. There's, there's no purgatory. Okay, there's nothing in the Bible that speaks of purgatory. Purgatory is a lie. Hell is final. But then the third and the most important thing Jesus said is that hell is avoidable. Hell is avoidable. And he wants everyone who lives, that means you, in this room this morning, to avoid hell. That's why Jesus came to die on the cross. That's why he showed that his words and his actions could be totally authenticated in his resurrection. It was so that we might avoid spending even one day of the rest of this life on the wrong side of God, let alone eternity. So in the parable, Jesus turns lastly to the issue of responding to him. Jesus always seeks a response. Jesus always wants us to, to, to see where we are in the parable, to see where we are in the story. I wonder as you've kind of been listening and reading this parable this morning, you know, you might not be financially rich this morning, but maybe you've got a lot in common with this rich man. Maybe you can see yourself living independent of God. Maybe you can see that, uh, that you've got so much and, and you don't need nothing else. And maybe a little bit of religion on the side is quite helpful, but that's as far as it goes. Well, praise the Lord, you might be like Lazarus. You might have made that choice. You may have not be financially poor. But in God's eyes, you are spiritually rich if you've turned to him. So there is a choice that we all have to make. What's the choice? The choice is based on whether we will listen and respond to Jesus now before it's too late. So let's just go down at the last part of this parable. Verse 27, And I beg you, Father Abraham, send Lazarus to my family. For I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses, the prophets, let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to them, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. So the rich man, there's no doubt, is there? The rich man knows now that hell is real and that people need warning to avoid this place, this final destination. So he wants Lazarus to put in an appearance from the dead at his father's house because he thinks that if he goes back and speaks to the family, that they'll be convinced, they'll change their mind, they will make the right choice to turn to God rather than just turn to their own selves and their own understanding. But Abraham, notice, says they have the Bible, which at this stage was only the Old Testament part. 
which was pointing to Jesus. And the rich man says, well, that's no good. They need a miracle. They need God to do something totally convincing in front of their own eyes. But then look at verse 31. Look at verse 31 again. He said to them, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. So in other words, if they won't believe on the written evidence of all that God has said and done in history so far, recorded in the Old Testament, they won't believe even if he does something miraculous before their very eyes. If Lazarus appeared from the dead, they wouldn't instantly repent. They would put it down to maybe some mass hallucination, or maybe a bad bottle of wine or too much cheese late at night. This morning, brothers and sisters, Jesus was saying, you now have the whole Bible. There's no excuse. You know, at the start of the sermon, I asked if anyone needed a Bible. You've got a Bible in front of your hands. Many of you have been taught the Bible week in, week out on Sundays and at other times. And maybe when you were a child, you had Bible teaching and maybe you've come back to find out more about what it means to follow Jesus. There is no excuse. Jesus has made himself so clear to every single person in this room throughout your life. Will you repent? Will you see it's only Jesus that will give you that ticket to heaven and not be on that road to hell? We all have that choice this morning. If you've got that tick on your watch or that ping on the hour, God has given you time. God has given you breath in your lungs to respond to him. Jesus is calling you this morning to respond to him. No one is righteous, not even one. That's what it says later on in the Bible. If you think you're good enough, you're kidding yourself. It's only Jesus can give you that ticket to heaven. No good ways, no bank balance, no charity, no religious observance, nothing will get you to heaven apart from Jesus. And as we sang earlier, it's grace. It's a gift to us. It's a free gift. But will we take that gift this morning? We take that gift of Jesus and open him and let him into our lives. He'll change your life now, but he'll, he will change your eternal destiny. Let me pray. God knows everyone's heart here this morning. And Father God, we think we know ourselves, but you know us better than we know ourselves. And often we think we know best. Often we think we can put things off. Maybe when I'm older, maybe when I'm 70 or 80 or when I've lived life as I should. I'll live life my way. Then I'll live your way after I've lived it my way for the number of years. Father God, I pray this morning that you would be speaking to someone this morning to, to turn from their road to hell uh, to that ticket to heaven, that road to heaven that only comes through believing in Jesus and trusting in Jesus in this life. Father God, we pray that you would do your work in your way 
in your time. But Father, we do cry as your people this morning that you would move in ways that none of us could ever move or manipulate, but only by your word and by your spirit working within us. Father God, please pray. We pray now that you would uh, work and that people would take that ticket to heaven and move from that road to hell instead move to that road to heaven. Well, this morning we've heard some difficult words, words of Jesus, uh, but also a challenge uh, to respond to Jesus. So if uh, maybe you think you, uh, you'd like to uh, have that ticket to heaven, as it were, rather than that, on that road to hell, we have a prayer room where you can go privately. There'll be some folk in there that will be able to pray with you. If you've come with someone this morning who may be on that road to heaven, why not ask them to go with you to the prayer room? Let me pray now. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the good news of Jesus. We thank you for this good news that is true and unchanging and changes our life now and also changes our destiny. We thank you for this and we thank you for that promise that we read in Scripture. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Father God, we thank you for that this morning. May we all leave knowing this eternal life. In Jesus' name, amen.